We're just, um, we're just getting started. I'm Dave Pausner. We have Mark Thurman. You're Mark Tracy. And we have Kachit, who I think you know. Hi, uh, apologies for the tardiness. Hey, Alex. I don't think anybody knows me, actually. Oh. Alex, do you know her? How do we meet these guys? Petro on their team um, presented at the Startup Spotlight. What does your company do? So our company, Cloud Agronomics, basically uses hyperspectral imaging technology to create a near real-time snapshot of plant and soil health. It almost acts like a CT scan for plants. And we can talk a little bit more about what hyperspectral imaging is, but it's a technology developed by NASA for remote sensing of planets and stars and information about that. Is it your sensors or are you relying on data and then putting them through a filter, putting the data through the fil- through a filter? We're using uh, third-party sensors, a combination of sensors, and have custom firmware that we pull that all together with, and then have our own custom calibration process um, and georeferencing so that we can use that data in the cloud. How long have you guys been in business? I'll let Oz take that one as one of the founders. He can tell you when we first got started. Hi, everybody. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Pretty well. Yeah, yes. Pretty clean yes. sound. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my name is Alex. I am, as Mark said, one of the co-founders of Cloud Agronomics. Um, you know, a little bit on the personal note. So I grew up in Eastern Europe, uh, moved to United States, but really, even though didn't grow up on a farm, kind of witnessed firsthand the difficulties that growers go through to grow food. Um, you know, the laborious nature, the very thin margins, it's just, uh, you know, the difficulty involved um, and the lack of focus, I guess, on companies to improve those policies. Um, when I moved to the United States, I became very interested in robotics and engineering. And when I entered college, I became very interested in applying this sort of novel technology uh, in an area which I thought Silicon Valley and the like were not focused on. You know, everybody wanted to become a very viral social media application, but I saw that agriculture was not on the radar of these brilliant minds. Um, and so myself and my co-founders began experimenting with this sort of remote testing technology that could be applied to a variety of different fields, right? From looking at the human body to diagnose tumors um, to agriculture. So one summer we actually road trip down to Florida and we applied a technology called spectroscopy uh, on a drone to try to diagnose a disease called citrus greening, which has completely devastated the citrus economy of Florida. Um, It's a disease that originally came from Asia um, and has no cure. And by the time you see it on your field, it's simply too late to do anything about it. And so what we've proved is by putting this sort of sensor on a drone and flying it over a field, you can identify the presence of this disease uh, before you can even see with your naked eye if you are standing in front of the crop. Um, So, you know, initially the focus of the company was identifying diseases, um, you know, and specific I guess, malnutrition of nutrients in uh, orchard crops. Um, what we realized though, um, and this is a couple years ago, what we realized recently, however, is we can use this technology to actually better understand um, how 
fundamentally light interacts with crops. Um, and what that allows us to do is actually now incorporate other data sources. So instead of relying on drones and our own data set, um, not only have we expanded geographically by putting our sensors on planes, but we have realized that by using satellites that are already in orbit around the world, we can apply our insights um, in much greater scale. So, you know, imagine understanding why entire commodity crops in the United States or beyond are underperforming and how do we help institutions, how do we help land growers to utilize less chemicals um, to better manage their fields, increasing income and increasing the food production um, across the food chain. Okay, so that's a mouthful. Um, but um, <laughs> okay, I think what it comes down to is you use drones to and possibly satellite images to analyze crops and predict disease or other bad things or good things. Yeah, and actually, I want to clarify that, uh, dude. We we don't use drones anymore. Oh. All of our imaging package is actually on human piloted aircraft. Uh, oh, why is what? Wait a minute. What's the difference between a drone and a human? Oh, human like a human yeah. piloted or human resident aircraft? So, <laughs> like, for example, a Cessna. How about that? Oh, why do you do that? That's no fun. Uh, actually, it's a lot of fun because we actually are able to handle a much heavier payload, um, which oh. the sensor package is pretty significant. And we can fly at a higher rate of speed and higher altitude and cover a much wider view angle. So as we fly um, and we partner with a company who's already flying aerial imaging all across the United States, so we don't have to operate the planes, but we're the only provider of hyperspectral imaging at scale in the US. So working with them and using their planes, we actually hitch a ride, so to speak, but can then have a view angle of almost a mile across and see the entirety of fields in one pass uh, rather than with a drone would be much more challenging logistically. Are you limited to the routes that they're willing to fly I'm, since you're hitching a ride? We can, um, for a small upcharge, customize the route here and there where we need to. Okay. So how did you, who, how long has it been known that you can diagnose disease and how many diseases can you diagnose um, spectrally or hyperspectrally? Well, I'll start off and then give Alex a chance to respond, but we were lucky that a number of land-grant institutions have been using hyperspectral imaging with bench laptop uh, science um, for quite a few years and turning this hyperspectral onto plants. But the challenge is, is that if you're in a fixed lab bench setting, um, the calibration, as you could imagine, is much, much easier with the instrumentation. When you take it out and then try and move it through the air at two or 300 miles per hour at an altitude of, you know, let's say five or 10,000 feet, um, it becomes very difficult because these are represent thousands of pixels of information. Um, NASA tried to put up a hyperspectral satellite into orbit and had trouble with the calibration so much so that uh, the data from that instrument is not usable today. Uh, so that's one of the big achievements that Alex and his team uh, overcame and accomplished. So when I record this podcast, I can either do my pre-processing on the fly in real time, or I can record sort of the raw signal and do it post-production. So uh, you guys can't do that. You can't get a raw, fully, fully uh, spectral, spectral image 
and then go home and calibrate there. In other words, can you process at the edge to use the trendy IoT? Not at the edge, at the end. Well, the, back uh, in the lab. Yeah, yeah. edge, cloud, or, or, or host. Oh, don't use your IoT above. BS on this. Um, <laughs> well, the other Mark's smiling, so he thinks he knows he what I'm saying. He's, he's picking up what I'm throwing okay, down. Okay, so edge and you say tomato, I say tomato. Um, anyway, can you do it all post-production? Yes, and that's actually exactly what we do. Um, so we collect all the raw data from aircraft, and then once we land, we upload all of it and take into account the weather conditions, we take into account the flight route, we also take into account the publicly available data from satellites. Um, and we're able to not only calibrate the data, as Mark said, in conditions that are ideal for flying, we're also, because of our very comprehensive approach to this task, are able to find cloudy conditions, find various altitudes, and ensure that whenever we cover the crops, whatever time of the season, in whatever year, the data is interchangeable because it's, um, so to speak, normalized to some standard. And is this equipment like 35 pounds, 100 pounds? Is it the size of an XLR camera? What does it look like? Um, so the package in terms of weight varies, but it's in the initial range you gave. Um, it consists of multiple visual sensors, um, an inertial measurement unit. So it basically tells us where it's pointing, uh, GPS, and a plethora of other sensors that we collect all the data from and then process in a proprietary way. And if you were to bring, if you were to just uh, um, sort, of, sort of make this understandable, I have in my mind's eye a, mm -hmm. a very big camera or actually more like a, uh, a camera like you'd see on a movie set, uh, except it's not on somebody's shoulder, it's mounted in this plane. Mm -hmm. But if you were to print an image, if you were to go up above a crop of um, something, um, depending on what state you're in, depending on whether or not it was legal. Um, cannabis crop. Cannabis crop. If you were to go above that crop um, and uh, take the image and look at it on the screen, would it look like Mark thought things looked when he was in college doing, um, trying other various substances, or would it look normal? I was a music student. I didn't do those substances. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll pretend he did when he was at Berkeley. Um, yeah, what would it look like? Does the image look normal to the, to the human eye, or does it look like Mark's bad uh, mushroom-induced dreams? Um, it would look, well, I guess, uh, could you just clarify your question exactly what you mean? No, don't ask him to do that again. Mark Tracy converted. He, he was he's smiling. In, he gets it. He's in Mark, yeah, David, I, I think we, you know, <laughs> it would I, look it wouldn't look like a normal picture. Um, so you wouldn't be able, and, and really your, your imagination's about right, except instead of a big movie camera, think of a big line scanner that's actually picking up uh, hundreds if not thousands of pixels per every square meter or two that it's looking at. And, and since our eyes only process three bands of light and we're picking up all of this information across the spectrum, it's actually very hard to visualize. And so it does need to be processed for the type of analysis that we apply to it to create a visual picture that we can interact with. Precisely. You know, one analogy we like to use is if you imagine the photocopier at home, um, yes. how it scans from one side to the other. Now imagine shaking the paper side to side as it's scanning and then picture, putting all that picture together into one coherent image. And then that image, instead of having red, green, blue, has hundreds of different layers. 
And so while we can visualize it into a red, green, blue image that you would understand and see as a field, um, the way we extract these uh, novel insights is exactly the opposite. Um, it's not on a color-based analysis. It's something that we can't even comprehend um, with our own eyes. Okay, so it was a little so, like Mark's dreams. Yeah. So Katja, <laughs> Mushroom dreams. So Katja <laughs> since you moderated these, um, what were some of the things that attracted some of the folks to this uh, that participated in watching the pitch, or what were? Can you characterize some of the feedback? You know what? To be honest, I don't even recall because this was the very first pitch day. So first of a hundred. You're throwing me a curveball here. Um, well, you were too well, quiet, so well, I needed we to wake you up. You were going to pay attention. I am Apparently paying not. attention, but see, this is why I ask you for pre-prep questions oh, so I can be prepared. People. That requires work. Yeah. yeah. I have to tell you guys too, Petra presented for us. I think she was selected as one of the best presentations of the whole thing. Oh, so we'll go with that. She certainly was. Her to stand out. Yeah, there you go, Katja. Were, really were you even there that day, Katja? <laughs> I was there, but again, as it was our first one and our first um, digital or uh, virtual event, I was panicking whether, you know, I would hit end and all of those things, you know. I think it's time for a new executive director. No, but I do, I do know, I do recall there were a lot of questions about sort of who your customer is exactly. So, I, you know, yeah, thanks. Um, so I do remember there was, you know, who are you selling to actually? So, so if so you want to question. address, if you want to address that, I think that the audience would be interested All right, in so, that. Uh, is, is your, is your customer the farmer? Is your customer the seed guys, you know, the, the big, you know, seed conglomerates to, you know, to kind of look at the effectiveness of their seed or their fertilizer or D all of the above. Hey, hold on, hold on, Mark Thurman, oh. you could clearly make that question much, much longer. I could. You could penalize, but Not, but I wouldn't. Like Mark Tracy is here, is abused again, and is going to answer this, I think. Yeah, he's amused, not abused. <laughs> you know, I uh, let me let me do two things. So I'll answer your question, and then I also want to tell you about what happens today. So today, it's very difficult for a farmer to know dynamically during a year or anyone the health of a crop. You know, how that happens today is people actually walk through the field and they use their eyes to process those three bands of light. And it's severely limited, um, but that's considered state of the art today. And you actually have to pay someone to come do that. Occasionally they'll take tissue samples of actual leaves, bring them to the lab. It takes a week to process and they get information back. But those tissue samples are just point samples in a field that's 5,000 or 10,000 acres. So when you get the information back, sure, you know something about that plant and theoretically the surrounding plants are similar, but with the variation in soil type and the way climate works and how moisture is spread out unevenly across fields, it's not that useful. And so, well, wait, we wait, wait, let me do my shark tank thing. There's yeah. gotta be a better way. <laughs> Perfect, exactly. So rather, and we, and everyone else, these brilliant IOT people and everyone else have been able to create these Great you, Mark. tools you. that allow us to make micro-application of nutrients. The tractors are set up for it now, but they don't have any dynamic information to feed into that. And that's where we can come in. So 
when we fly over a field, we can give them meter by meter across the field and tell them where they are deficient of certain nutrients that would maximize their production. Can the you nice thing about that is farming more sustainable because we yeah. use less chemical-based fertilizer inputs and we produce more food at the same time. Hold on, question. Can you get down to the level of the individual plant or the individual wait, leaf? Wait, he didn't answer the the, the real question, Was which was oh. who's his customer? There's got to be a better oh, way. Oh, it was such a so long answer. So they have their thing. They built, they built out this method and system to do whatever. Who do you sell it to? Yeah, so right now we're okay. selling through something called Grain Marketing Advisory Services who work with a large number of farmers as opposed to a direct farmer sale, which is very laborious and complicated. Um, these grain marketing advisors, the one that we are working with, covers farmers across seven different states and represents a million acres. Um, longer term, you hit a number of our other customers as well, people who want to see aggregated data about the health of crops. So everything from large food companies to fertilizer companies, um, to even in the case of soil health, people who want to offset their carbon footprint and would like to incentivize farmers to um, adopt practices to sequester carbon on their farms. Okay, can I ask my question now, Mr. No. Mark? No. Yeah, okay. sure. <laughs> okay, so do you get this down to the uh, level of the aphid on the leaf, on the plant, in the field, or is it just sort of kind of big picture you got in a big picture guys like Mark and you're Norman. asking about my drug use <laughs> are you big picture guys or can you get it down to the plant level like hey we saw we saw a um infected corn plant yeah, out there. we yeah. can get down really close to the square meter um, okay so that's not quite the plant level in the case of corn or soybeans david but it is the plant level in the case of something like an almond tree or a citrus tree, for example. So we could identify an individual tree, um, but when you get down to a smaller plant, like a stand of corn, not the individual plant, but real close. And Okay, that helps. Go ahead, continue, then I'll follow on. As you can say, the other part of uh, the competitive landscape, if you will, is that there are satellite companies that try to do some imaging from space of plants. But they're limited to something we call NDVI, which is just a measure of greenness of the plant. And with machine learning, they've been able to extract a lot of information from that, but they're inherently limited in how much they can extract. And also to your point, they can't get down to the square meter from space. The resolution just isn't that good. Well, now, so, okay, if Katya were paying attention to this, um, what she might ask, is do you need do you need what level of granularity do your customers need to to diagnose whether the plants are dying and what how how deep do you need to get into this how close yeah when i was talking before about the work of of tractors and the ability to do micro applications they're actually set up to do things down to the square meter so that's kind of where we want to hit because that's what the technology can do can you apply? Can you apply drugs or whatever plant? Uh, can you apply pesticides at that level, or herbicides, or marcicides? Absolutely. If you have the equipment, you can. Okay. And do still images not lend themselves to? This was the question Katja was going to ask. Um, do um, still images not lend themselves to full spectral analysis? Correct. Oh, why not? 
because they don't capture the same amount of data or information. So there's only certain parts of the spectrum um, tell you certain things about the plant. And so you need to be able to look across all those bands of light to be able to have the type of insights that we're able to create. So the NSA satellites that take pictures of uh, Kim Jong-il shooting his um, senior mm. advisors with a, oh, oh, <laughs> shooting his senior advisors with a bazooka, do those cameras have sufficient spectral uh, width or are they all still kind of red, green, blue or whatever it is? Well, I have to go back to the traditional answer. I, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that was the right answer for for that sort of question. Oh, God. oh boy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I I do have a question actually, if I may interject, and this this might be naive because I know nothing about agriculture, but um, she's trying to save the podcast. Though. <laughs> what what is the actual so? How are you? How much are you saving by doing this? You know, versus someone doing it by like, what's the what? Can, what's the preventative measure once you sort of detect the disease? You know, is it you know what does early detection do for the for the farmer? Yeah, it's a good question, and it ranges depending on what the thing is that you're looking at. So in the case of disease like citrus screening that um, Alex was talking about earlier, it can be the difference between saving a tree that has a 20 or 30 year life and production and completely losing. In the case of looking at a field of corn, it could be the difference between having a corn crop that yields 100 bushels an acre or one that yields 200 bushels per acre. And the variations are, are really that wide, depending on what the analysis is. Um, but we are leaving lots of food on the table, so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> um, because we uh, continue to farm in traditional ways and have had trouble adapting to new cutting edge technology and applying it in a way that makes it easy and actionable for a farmer. I was talking to a farmer in Nebraska last week, and he said, I'm, I'm tired of people telling me my plants are stressed, but not telling me why they're stressed or what to do about it. And that's kind of the data gap, if you will, that we're trying to address. How? By giving them this type of real-time insight that actually gives them in-depth analysis so that when we fly over a field, we can say, well, actually, the reason why your plants are stressed is because they're deficient and nitrogen, and not as a blanket statement for your 10,000 acres, but here's an actual uh, sample map that will show you the parts of your field that are deficient. Where does that data exist? Can you, if you go do a spectral analysis of a square meter of Mark's backyard, Mark Thurman's backyard, can you then take that um, spectrum um, and- That, that data. Look that data. Well, yeah, the, the spectrum data, the spectral data. Can you then open a book somewhere, a textbook, and it'll say, ah, Mark needs more lime and um, there's grubs? Uh, you know, in some cases you can, but in most, we actually are developing a lot of that science. So we get an indication that a certain section of the band might be relevant for something like lime, for example. And the way we train our models to make sure that we are correct and have accuracy with that is we collect physical ground truth. And we've done that for multiple growing seasons. 
So, so you'll, actually you'll validate your stuff by actually going out and snipping or, you know, dipping or whatever it is you do to capture the sample. And, and then you match the two up and say, see, we were right. Exactly. So you'd say you have real boots on the ground? Yes. Uh, and, you know, that's part of the significant investment that we have to make in, uh, in research and development. The good news is, is that once we have that down, we don't have to do it year after year. So we can expand to different crop types and different analyses depending on what we're trying to figure out. So why hasn't this um, grown like, or uh, yeah, grown like wildfire? This seems like it's a no-brainer of a product, but is is this the, the real issue, which is yes, you can get the images or rather acquire the data and you can do your the spectral analysis, but in the end, everyone's kind of looking at each other saying, well, it doesn't quite look green enough, but we're not sure what the problem is. I mean, I would think this thing, well, you'd have no, you'd, you'd have a, this should be low-hanging fruit to sell all this stuff. So to come speak. up with it. Yeah, I'm trying to come up with one of these little metaphors as I can come up with. There's some wonderful puns in agriculture. Yeah, it, that was a real lemon, by the way. <laughs> so and there were two things. One was... It Sorry, was, Katya, they're all dad jokes. It was really hard to deploy this technology at scale. Um, the, you know, we've oversimplified the difficulty of looking across all these bands of spectrum and being able to do it in near real time. The other piece is what we just discussed, the research and development to go behind it to understand what it actually means. Um, so, and for that, you can't speed up mother nature. That's the other thing. If you want to throw a billion dollars at this problem, uh, you still have to wait the entirety of a growing season to see how a plant changes over time. And it's one of the nice competitive advantages that we have for having done this for a couple of growing seasons now. Um, now that we're out there, we just closed our seed funding round um, just this last month. That was right. not a pun. Uh, that was not a pun, was it? Uh, well, wasn't intended. <laughs> Keep going. And so we have just gone to the marketplace commercially just in this year of 2020. So, uh, and the response has been fantastic and the adoption is, is great. And we're just starting to get out there and sell and publicize who we are and what we're doing. What's the so it would, see, it would seem it? to me that you'd attract a lot of NGO investment, especially to help subsistence farmers, say in India, or you know, Alex mentioned he's from Eastern Europe, um, you know, just farmers in general having issues globally. It would seem to me that you'd get grants and, and other forms of uh, funding from, you know, NGOs and the Gates Foundation, et cetera, et cetera. Is this an appealing value prop for them? Well, funny you should mention that. We did receive a cash grant from Microsoft that was very generous. Um, oh, figure. So you're using Azure, I guess, as the back end. <laughs> And, you know, they were really, Microsoft's been very public about offsetting their carbon footprint since their founding. And if we had farmland as a carbon sink globally, uh, it becomes really attractive to start paying farmers in, for your example, sub-Saharan Africa, um, and giving them an incentive to adopt these practices. Um, and, you know, if you're looking at five, 10, $20 a hectare, that can be the difference between subsistence farming and actually being profitable. Um, so it's an exciting time for that. And, and we're really pleased to be, uh, we flew all over the country this season over bare soil 
to be able to um, prove our ability to remote sense um, soil carbon. Um, and we're really excited about the potential for that to do exactly what I'm going to talk over you, David. One yeah, would perfect. Which Mark, Katya hates. Katya loves that. <laughs> well, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> Come on, Katya. One like would assume that you could create a market for carbon offsets as one of your offerings. Yeah, absolutely. We think we could be a key verifying technology because today you have to go out and scoop dirt into a test tube and bring it to a lab. And if you're looking again at that 10,000 acre field, that's a lot of dirt um, and a lot of lab costs. How much would it cost? How much could you make if you deployed not in farmland but um, in suburbia? If you guys sent your drones, oh, then say remember those companies that would analyze houses? They took pictures of the thermal, um, the heat leak signature of houses, and they would sell you data saying your house is giving up thirty-five dollars of heat a month. Call us, and we'll tell you where. And so, and this was pre-privacy days, so nobody cared that there was a, a funny-looking white van on the street overnight taking pictures of their house. Only um, in front of yours. <laughs> but the, the question is, if you guys sent your um, manned or unmanned uh, airplane over Mark's, um, Markstown, Wayland, Massachusetts, could you collect on a per-yard basis the issues, you know, Lyme, Mark's got the Lyme issue with the with the underwatering and his neighbor has this other issue and Katja's mother has yet this other issue. Could you sell that data for $100 a shot and uh, and have this thing really take off or would that be a money losing proposition? Ultimately, that's something that we could do. What's nice about our focus area for now, if we take, you know, the corn crop in the United States of America, for example, that's 90 million acres. Um, and over 500 million acres worldwide. Uh, soybeans are also planted on very similar uh, acreage. And so that's almost a similar amount, you know, another four or 500 million acres. You throw in wheat, that's about 600 million acres worldwide. So it's a tremendous market opportunity right there. And you know, we know that big agriculture traditionally as it's done today is horribly inefficient. And we really want to have that impact to make it more sustainable, but also produce more food at the same time. But but, but going back to that, I, I get that. But I assume that a uh, half an acre in Wayland would be worth of, of diagnosing Mark's lawn would be worth more than tens of acres in uh, Zimbabwe. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because Mark, you know, is willing to pay a big premium, I assume. Well, he uh, wants a green lawn. To that, <laughs> to that acreage. Oh, I'm cheap. <laughs> Don't care. I do. What, what can, may I interrupt and just ask about yes, the please. data itself? Pulling who, is a serious question. Data, yes, it is a data governance. Who owns the data? I do. Yeah, so what's nice is, you know, we, again, we're not using drones, we're flying at an altitude up above. So just like any data that is pulled down from a satellite, um, we own that analysis of that data by flying over. We don't need any permissioning by anyone on the ground for it. Got it. Do you even need, other than when you fly over the White House, do you guys need air rights permissions or no? No. Huh. No, and it definitely is an issue, though, currently with drones. You know, I worked with farmers um, for almost 20 years for Cargill, 
Um, and farmers are not huge fans of random drones over their farm fields. Um, and it hasn't even been unheard of to occasionally have one take a shot at one that's flying over. Why but, does that bother them, by the way? I've read that also. Yeah, they're very sensitive to privacy and just, um, you know, not having someone uh, know a lot about what they're doing on their farm. Oh. So uh, let me kind of go to uh, where you guys are going. Right now you're just doing U.S., is that correct? We are. We are actively working on starting in Brazil this fall, which is their spring. Okay, because uh, a couple years ago I had a group of grad students do a study for me on IoT trends in, in uh, smart ag. And I'm looking at it. So there's 570 million farms globally. 95% of these farms are less than 25 acres in size, but those 95% produce 70% of the world's food supply. So it would seem to me, so Brazil is obviously in the top 10, but you've got India, China, you know, the BRIC countries are, are I think, ahead. What's your point? So the point is, why, why are you sticking with the United States? Yeah. Money, so, money, money. China's bigger, India's bigger. Yeah, we have more money. Not, however, if you look at the specific crops that we're looking at. So corn, the largest producer of corn in the world is the United States of America. And if you're looking at soybeans, the largest producer is South America collectively, which surpassed the United States about 10 years ago. Ooh. But between the two, you're looking at the vast majority of the production of soybeans worldwide and corn worldwide. If you're looking at wheat, then you want to look more into places like uh, Ukraine, Europe, Australia, Canada are all additional countries that you definitely need. So it's more a focus on what particular crop you're looking at rather than um, just the geography itself. Other than better jokes, how would we get you to do more than crack a smile? We want a, a true guffaw. <laughs> more than... <laughs> Well, I don't know. I'd probably make make fun of my coworker. I mean, that always, as you can tell, make, make fun of that. Always an engaging way to get people excited. <laughs> I I was tossing Alex many bones on on the global market. I thought you know Eastern Europe. I don't know, Alex. Are you uh, from Ukraine? Well, first off, thank you, Mark, for the, the appropriate <laughs> timing of that. Um, yes, I am indeed. Okay, so I figured you know you'd want you'd want to take care of the home country. <laughs> maybe maybe one day, uh, but thank you for asking. Alex is a man of few words. That's why we have Mark here, I think. <laughs> His Mark, yeah. not this one. And a smile. Yeah. <laughs> True. Okay, so, all right, so you've got interesting products. So where do you, um, when's your next fundraise? And you can't do any of that on this on this uh, podcast, but you guys are now heads down um, with the money you've just raised and uh, um, now starting to attack the markets. Is, it, is, that, is there a need for more fundraising? Or are you guys good to go at this point? No, I'm uh, relieved to say we're good to go at this point. And no we, shit. We should be in good shape for 18 to 24 months. Um, and, uh, you know, depending on how the rollout goes, maybe we'll be lucky enough to not have to come back for capital again, um, which really is a, a tremendous relief given what's going on with COVID-19 and the fact that Certainly with the pandemic, the venture world has become a little bit more cautious, I'd say, about what type of investments they make. 
Can you do spectral analysis of crowds of people and detect COVID-19? You know, it's a, it's a really interesting type of application. You know, we know of hyperspectral being used to look at skin, for example, to try and detect melanoma or other types of skin cancer. Um, I think longer term, there will be more uses like that. We're very interested in a something related to agriculture, but um, the runoff of these chemicals um, that are applied to fields and how they get into tributaries and waterways and create algal blooms, for example, um, and analyze the dissolved oxygen content. So there, there are a lot of really interesting potential applications in the future. And we're thinking about a lot of them, but we try and remain focused on on the production of food and the carbon market for now. But you couldn't, okay, and there's not there's not a sort of low-hanging fruit, so to speak, in terms of uh, government grants and flying over crowds of protesters and analyzing the COVID-19 situation? Yeah, I mean, at this point there, you know, we wouldn't know what signal to look for. So that would create a whole, you know, a lot of noise. A number of uh, different types of R&D initiatives to get there. And we're starting with things that we already have a good idea of what the spectral signature is that we're looking for and how we can apply it. Um, but as that market starts to mature and as we grow, we will be looking for other types of Yeah, but it's such a massive market. I mean, I trotted through the statistics that I had before, you know, almost 600 million farms globally. It's a good place to start. Yeah, we feel pretty good about that. And we, you know, I think the other thing I haven't mentioned, obviously big data is very in vogue and, and overused, but we are pulling terabytes of data up from each flight that we have. And, you know, longer term, I think it's going to be a really exciting data set to commercialize and apply in a lot of ways, like we talked about, but, you know, be able to um, alert a farmer or a large chemical company that there is something like soybean rust that's appearing in Alabama and it's gradually moving geographically. And here's the chemical that needs to be used to treat it. Um, are, are you storing all those terabytes uh, at your shop or are you putting it up at uh, AWS? Or, or wasabi. Or, 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 wasabi well, was, that's what I was thinking. Our favorite company, you know, might, we might We might want to go to one of our other uh, hosts, guest sponsors, and talk to you about, uh, or have them talk to you about stuff. We have no well, relationship with I don't them, think but. they would, I don't think they would ever pretend to be a sponsor of this. Uh, no, well, well, yeah, true. Anyway, but, where, where, where do you, where do you put the bits? We are putting it up in the cloud, and we welcome any kind of introduction that you think would be applicable. I'll do that offline. Wasabi. Bring it to wasabi. Yeah. <laughs> Hottest, hottest commodity on the market. Um, this will get so, cut out, probably. That one, that the, your reference. <laughs> I'll, I'll contact you separately. I have friends over there. But anyway. Um, so you, a lot of what David and I talk about in our podcast is failure. Uh, and again, this is my where David chides me and tells me not to be a, be a panel moderator. But um, in, the, in the waning moments of, of this podcast... Um, was there a failure that took you to a specific marketplace or have you been on target from, from, uh, the moment you started? Yeah. So I love failure. I'm glad you asked this question. Um, Alex, if, uh, you want to talk about a failure that you and our other founder, Jack Roswell had at the very beginning, I think it would be a perfect story for this. Are you referring to the 
glorious first fight of our aircraft. I am indeed. Oh, that's uh, well, it will be my honor. Thank you. I hope it. Um, I hope it's not a crash and burn story. Oh, <laughs> oh that's train you're wreck. It. You're spoiling it. Um, so yeah. as I mentioned, we initially used drones. Uh, most as a proof of concept for the ability to use these sensors to actually extract these insights. Um, this part of the story that I did not tell you is my founder, uh, my co-founder Jack and I spent the better part of one summer building a drill from scratch that was basically a very big plane made out of wood to carry sensors. And so we spent the better part of the summer building it. We go out to test flight on one of the windiest days in Boston. And after about seven seconds, it tips to the left and crashes not so graciously, gracefully onto the ground. Um, so, you know, in terms of failure, one thing it made us realize is just the difficulty of relying on UAVs or drones to collect this data. You know, Mark brought up the legal regulations of privacy and not being able to collect data at a scale, but it made us really take a step back on how could we commercialize this technology? How could we scale it and not be held back by lack of a better word, hardware? Um, so, I think the lesson there was one, we had much greater commercial opportunities and two, we uh, at that point decided to use aircraft um, to really serve as the basis platform for all of our data collection going forward. The other story guys that uh, he edited, which you know relates back to failure, you know, he said they went down to Florida and looked at citrus trees. They did that on spring break while they were in college. So I think that that it's really an example of failure for socialization otherwise that freed up time to allow them to experiment on this. No, 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 no. Mark, I saw that. On, I think that was called Orange Groves Go Wild. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, just where everyone goes on spring break is the Orange Groves. Mark, I've heard this is a public podcast. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. It's okay. We're, the top, we're only in the top 7% of... Uh, of podcasts, Failure. so not too many thousands of people will hear it. From a more philosophical perspective, and and uh, Mark, you're newer to this, does the information the company is able to grab from the sky make you wonder what the satellites are collecting or could potentially be collecting, uh, or has that thought never occurred to you? Oh, it's absolutely occurred to me, and we, we're getting a, a education on that. We do um, talk to a couple of the satellite companies who are out there, um, and it is fascinating what they're doing. Um, again, no one has been able to deploy a hyperspectral satellite into orbit, um, and that's not expected to happen for at least three to five years. Um, so the bands of spectrum are not very wide. But the resolution that they have, the ability to read a license plate, for example, and do other things that we're not even aware of or publicly, um, you know, or public information, uh, is pretty pretty mind blowing. Um, and we try and keep up to date with it very closely because we would love to have a hyperspectral satellite in space because. We would love to use that data and we'll be the first people to be able to actually tell you what that data means when you apply it to agriculture. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Okay, you should call good. Elon Musk. I guess he could uh, help you there. With some yeah, I mean, if he wanted to give us some free payload space, I'm sure we could <laughs> start building a satellite and work with him. That would be awesome. Very interesting. So I think, okay. uh, I think David, yeah. I think we've, 
we've, as they say on Car Talk, I think we've probably wasted a perfectly good hour of their time. We, I think we have. We have. And so um, we really appreciate you guys uh, joining yes. in. And Katya, we appreciate your joining the call, even though you paid very little attention. That is not true. I have been listening intently. Just like Take at the notes. very first, yeah, like at the very first um, uh, uh, contest uh, day that you were telling us about. I think you were uh, worrying about your next run or whatever. Um, I was just worrying about muting everybody. <laughs> I, I would just request that if in post you can make this any more embarrassing 